Welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to affect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today. We believe that God has called this church to be a space of transformational grace in an unforgettable place. What makes a place unforgettable is not the space in which we are, but what happens within it. It's not the, the church that makes the wedding wonderful, but it's the two people coming together. It's not Disney World that's so great. It's the experiences with family in that space that makes it such a wonderful place. And we believe that this is a place that God desires to bring transformational grace and to make this space unforgettable. And I want to call you to be a part of that this afternoon for just a few minutes. I know you've already heard the announcement, but I wanted to emphasize it again because it's so important to who we are as a culture and our steps moving forward that we just need to jump in on this. And so we're in the third part of this Catalyst series, and I've just had a blast sharing with you. You probably could tell because near the end of the year, there was a lot of uh, space. We had a lot of guests. We had different folks sharing the pulpit, but I've been running strong for now f- six weeks, I think this is, the sixth week in a row, and I'm just excited. I've got like 50 more in me, I think, uh, before I'm ready for a break. I'm not sure about that, but I'm going to go strong because I just feel like God is speaking some powerful things to this church. The revelation he's put in my heart is just amazing. Amazing. So we're talking about this idea of being a catalyst or a change agent. And that all of us, no matter what shape we find ourselves in, are called to be people that are folks of change. And what I've known about catalysts is they also recognize key moments. That there's key moments that we all need to seize upon to sort of build the, the, the momentum or to be the change that we hope that the world sees or the change that we have in our lives. Maybe it's that moment where you get that bad medical uh, report, your triglycerides are too high, and now's the time. It's the catalytic moment. It's making the change uh, desirable. It's that moment. And, and I want to talk to you about one of my moments where change happened in my life and in my family. I was engaged to be married to my now wife, and so I didn't blow it, but I, I want to tell you a story. We were traveling to the Dominican Republic, and we were joining a missions team that was there. They needed a little bit more help, and so my wife and I, we had some time off of school, and so we decided to fly over to the Dominican Republic to reach a part of the Dominican Republic that my in-laws, who had served in that country for a long time, had never been. A place, as far as this country is concerned, that had been virtually untouched with the gospel. Sure, they'd heard the name of Jesus, but this particular part of the island had been the least Christian of all of it, and it needed to have an impact, and so they invited us to come along, and so we had a powerful time of ministry. God really worked. We, 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 I was preaching in the services, and, the, and it was incredible what God did, but we had a half a day off on one of the the, uh, after lots of ministry, and we went to the beach that day. It's what you do in the Dominican Republic. You've got a day off. You're going to go to the beach because there's some of the most beautiful beaches in the, in the world there. So we are driving up, and I noticed that behind the beach where we were pulling into was this beautiful mountain and this rock face, and I go, oh, my goodness. Forget the ocean. I want to climb that. And so I tell my fiancé, 
my now wife, I said, I'm going to climb, I'm going to free climb this mountain face right over here. And I was, had aspirations of being free solo before free solo was even a thing. I was going to be the OG of free solo and free climb this mountain because I had no gear, I had no ropes, but it looked sweet and I wanted to do it. And my wife says to me, my, my fiance at the time, now that sounds stupid. So this was a catalytic moment, church. Like, she's already, I gotta, I gotta lay it down the way that this marriage is gonna be because she's already trying to run my life. And I said to her, the devil is a liar. I am going to climb this mountain and you're gonna like it, woman. And so she looks at me and just shakes her head. So I get up and I'm doing this thing, man. I get like halfway up and it's going pretty good. I'm like, yeah. So I'm waving to her. She's over on the beach. And she's just shaking her head. I could see even in the distance. She's shaking her head at me like, you idiot, what are you doing? So I go up another bit of the, of the mountain face that I'm in and I start noticing something terrible. I have no ropes. I've got no gear. I'm realizing that if I fall backwards or if I fall, it's death. I'm not afraid of death, but I am afraid of mountains that don't have handholds because every time you grab a hold of them, they're dissolving your hand. What I thought was rock face was really compacted dirt that the higher I climbed was less and less secure. And so I see her and she just keeps looking around to see what I'm doing. And I'm like trying to persist, but the more I'm persisting, I'm realizing that this is a very bad idea. And so I'm gingerly now trying to make my way up. And then I finally decide, no, this is it. I've got to stop because there will not be a marriage if I continue to try to climb up this mountain because I'm going to die if I go any higher. So I work my way down. And she knows I didn't make it to the top because she was watching. She says, how was it? And I said, the catalytic words that have framed my marriage ever since. I said, you were right, baby. I'm sorry. I was stupid. And I've had a great marriage since that day. So, man, I just want to tell you that sorry, I, I shouldn't have done it. That was stupid of me. will go a long way to bring about the right change you need in your marriage. Amen. But it was a moment, a moment where I had misprioritized what was best for what I wanted. And in the, in the church or in the life that we have, we share with God, that's often the case. It's more about what I want. It's more about what I desire. It's more about what I need. It's more about what I want to do. And the problem with that type of thinking is, is if I continue to chase that sort of aspirational focus, it will always, not sometimes, it will always be insufficient to meet you where you need to be met most. When we misprioritize who God is in our life, we always end up on the losing side of that. But the problem is, it's, it's what I want to do in the moment. When somebody curses me out in the parking lot after they leave church, I want to call them back into the church and lay hands on them and bring deliverance in Jesus' name. Amen? But, but it, it's what I want. What is God trying to do and what do I want to do? These matter because we believe as Christians that God should be first in our lives. If you're not a believer, maybe you're not there yet. But as Christians, we all would profess God should be first. God should be first 
in my household. God should be first in my life. But then the rub starts happening that starts to challenge the ideal. Like live generously. We would all agree that that's a good value. You know, we should be generous. As Christians, we should be generous people. But then pastor get up here and start talking about tithing and our backside gets all tight. You know what I'm saying? You can, you can tell me to be generous and I'm good with that, but now you can't tell me how to be generous. Like I should give 10% of my income. By the way, I didn't say it. God did. But rest assured, you can loosen up. This isn't a sermon about tithing. This is a sermon about being catalyst. Because we agree that the ideal is good, but when we hear words like soft answers turn away wrath and we're offended, we don't want to speak softly. We want to speak in angry tones and we want the other person on the other side of the conversation to know exactly what we think. Really, if you could summarize what the gospel, the Bible is trying to do, it's all about breaking toxic cycles. Breaking toxic cycles by living in a completely other way. Living in a God first way. With God first in every area of our life. And this is so vital. And yet, it's something that we often miss. Because we're so insistent on doing it the way that I want. Or in the space that I want. And so this morning I'm coming to a passage that I haven't preached from. Now I've referred to it because it's so iconic in our church's formation. I haven't preached from this passage, though, specifically in something like four years. And so the Holy Spirit was drawing me back here, not to preach that sermon, but to take a fresh look at it and to communicate its value to us this morning because I feel like if we're going to be catalysts, that this is an essential part of initiating the right kind of change that we need. The passage is found in Haggai chapter 1. This is a powerful passage to me because when the Lord was calling me to plant CLC, that these are the scriptures that he was directing my heart to and what it is that he was trying to share with me about it. To give you a little bit of background, Haggai is prophesying to people that have now come home from exile. They started building the temple and the temple had the foundations of it had been laid, but Life starts happening, and setting other things in motion is becoming important as well, and so it's now been 20 years since they've been out of exile, and the foundation is the only thing left, or the only thing they have built for the temple. So Haggai the prophet, he hears a message from the Lord because he's looking at a lot of people that are frustrated, a lot of people that seem disconnected from their purpose, a lot of... Uh, in the fray of life, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of focus that's been washed. And he's speaking to this with the word of the Lord. And I think I have something powerful to share with us this morning. This is what the Lord Almighty says, verse 2. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. 
You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it. And be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called forth the droughts on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. Powerful text. And Haggai, who's considered a minor prophet, not because of what he has to say is less important, but because he only says a few words. But in these just couple of chapters in this book, it's power-packed. But he's calling the people back to themselves because what they were trying to do was focus on what they need. And the idea itself doesn't seem to come from a bad place. Like, I want to live more generously, but if I don't have anything to give, it's hard to be generous. And so let me work really hard at earning wages so that the more I earn, the more that I can give. That makes sense, right? That's, that's logic. That's the way it works. If I don't have crops, how am I going to give 10%? What's 10% of nothing? It's still nothing. And so from their mindset, we can understand what, what, why they're doing what they're doing. Because we've all played those games. I'll volunteer in church when I have more time. When my life isn't so crazy. And that moment just doesn't ever seem to come, does it? There's always some rub. There's always something that seems to be in place that makes it difficult to live into the virtue of what is required to have a life or to catalyze your life in a way that actually gives something of meaning to it. So we're all called to some bigger purpose than the one in which we live. For us at CLC, this journey started eight years ago. The statistics at the time, I'm not sure all of what they are now. I imagine they're close to the same, if not worse, because we did just get the national statistics and we have more people claiming atheism as their religion than any time in the history of this country. That's true. And it didn't just grow marginally, it grew faster than any other religious group. It's the nuns, the people that say they have no religion. So when we started this church eight years ago, it was part of the driving force for me was that the statistics were coming out and every year in the US we're closing between 3,500 and 4,000 churches. That's how many churches are closing. Of that, 1,000 will try to replace those 3,500 to 4,000, but most of those won't make it. And so there's a net loss. Every year our churches are losing 2.5 million people. That's not people dying off. That's people that are stop, they stop attending. Stop living as if God is first. And only 15% of the churches in the U.S. are growing right now. Two types of churches, by the way. Huge mega churches and churches like ours. Church start, 
starts that, that are here. And every year in the eight years that we've existed, we continue to grow. So it's just those two extremes and only 15% of total churches. And so there is this sense, this dilemma that something is broken. But I wonder sometimes, because we get caught up so much in building the lives that we have, if we're even noticing. Sure, we notice that the, the rhetoric in, in, on television and in politics is worse. We notice that people are less neighborly than they have been. But is it the reason for this? Is the reason for this, is it related to our inability to recognize what's really at stake? Similar to the people in Haggai's time. They're focusing on good things. Providing for their family. You don't hear them out carousing. You don't hear them shooting up uh, methamphetamine. That's not what they're doing. They're just trying to build a life. They're just trying to build something that, that they feel like will help them. To help their families. But there's this point that even in their pursuit, that it's all been empty. The full lives that they were hoping to build have actually turned out to be far less than they hoped. And the prophet is trying to help them, trying to help us to catalyze our life, to use the experiences that we are now in to be the moment that causes us to change our hearts forever, like the triglyceride count that's too high or the cholesterol count that's too high, that we would recognize our moments which is right in front of us right now to do something powerful and transformational with the way in which we exist as a community and the way you exist within your family and in your life. What the prophet is first calling them to is that if you're going to have God's blessing, you've got to learn to be a God first people. You've got to be a God first kind of person that says God first in everything, not just the areas that I want to prioritize God. If I don't prioritize God in my thought life, I can be all over the world, right? If I don't prioritize God in my marriage, I'm probably not going to have a godly marriage. If I don't prioritize the way that I'm a father to my kids as a God-first person, then I'm probably going to fail in that too. That God needs to be first in everything, which means that our silly hierarchies have to die. What do I mean? We have these hierarchies, and some of you have heard me communicate this before, but it's so so powerful and so transformational that you need to hear it again. The way that we often build our hierarchies in our home, it goes like this. God first, family second, ministry or work or whatever. We make the priorities, whatever they are. But what I found in my ministry is that really what second ends up being first, whatever that is. Because nothing is even meant to be in competition with God first. Here's what I'm saying, because people that prioritize ministry, say, over God, will justify it as this is God's will for my life, and meanwhile, their family is suffering because they've sold themselves to ministry to the degree that their family is not in its right place. Similarly, and this one actually happens more, is they say, our family's a priority, and we're going to focus on our family, and that all sounds good, sounds very religious, but what happens is, is it actually takes the place of God to the degree that they're not serving in the ways that they should. The way that it's supposed to function, the way that it's supposed to be designed is God first, period. Because when God is first in our life, every other priority finds its right place. There is no hierarchy of seconds and thirds and fourths and fifths, but everything finds its place when we are a God 
first people. Or as Matthew 6.33 says, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all these things will be added unto you. Everything else will find its right order. You notice that there's no hierarchy in that verse? It's all set in the priority of being a God first person. And when we are, we have all of the blessings of what that means. But when we misprioritize God in our lives, everything is out of order. This is the functional dilemma of what's going on in Jerusalem. They're called to rebuild. So they're all chasing after things that will help them rebuild. We've got to build infrastructure. We've got to build city councils. We've got to have this person chair of these committees. We've got to have our houses in order. And we've got to then, after that, then we can focus back on, on the God stuff. The problem was, is they misunderstand the importance of prioritizing the place of worship as the central aspect of what governs the lives in the community of the people of God. The temple was the unified space where everyone co would come and be reoriented or be retrained in what it means to be godly people. And when that's out of place, what happens is, is that I don't realize that it's wrong to defraud my neighbor or to lie or to cheat or to steal. It's the center of life. And when the center of life is displaced, everything, even our pursuit of good things, feels empty, feels hollow. And this is the functional dilemma of what here is happening. So the prophet says, is it time for you to be living in your paneled houses while the house of the Lord is in ruin? This idea of panel is not hardy plank on the siding of a house. The idea of panel is adornment. Working so hard to build something of beauty or chasing the vanity of trying to do better, to compete with more, to build something that's functionally different. And when they're doing that, it, nothing is really coming out the way that it should. And even though this makes practical sense in our mind, it never really works out the way that it's supposed to. Here then, the dilemma is, if we're going to have godly outcomes, we have to prioritize godly behaviors and mostly our relationship with God above everything else. Here, last year at this time, we started a building campaign for CLC. I told you from this pulpit that in this area to build a church, the size that we need really to grow next, from a natural perspective, it would take five million dollars. That's what it cost. There's actually land that we've been looking at as a team with, with some of the staff and in conversation with the board. Just the land, just under five acres of land, it's $2.1 million just the land because Carrie is an expensive place. We're like, well, you could move somewhere else. No, God's called this church to be a light here in the central part of the triangle because God has called us to reach the entire triangle. Yes, we love Carrie, but more we love what God is doing in this region, and Carrie sits right in the center of that. Here's the thing. From a practical sense, it makes maybe some, some rational idea to go ahead and move beyond or to find some place that's cheaper to do that, but then in doing so, we displace the people that are actually making up the community of faith because now people that were only driving 15 minutes or 20 minutes or sometimes as many as 45 are now being pushed to drive an hour maybe or an hour and 10 minutes or 20 or 30 
And every time that you do those kinds of things, you lose the structure of what makes a church a church, which is its people. So we've been saving. We've been saving all our nickels, and I'm happy to report that not one nickel, not one dime, not one penny has been used for anything. It's just in a savings account. We saved over $41,000 in 2019, amen? That's, that's incredible. That's powerful. But it's a seed. It's a seed of what God is trying to do next because he desires that his church take important steps forward. But it can never take the steps it needs to take until we, the church, recognize our part in it. That we become the conduit or the grace that God means to extend to the world through this community. $5 million is something that is very small for God to provide. I want you to know that this pastor absolutely believes that he could send a person in here in a moment or cause us to find gold underneath the thing if he wants to, however he wants to fund it. But he wants us to be partners with him. And this is not just about our giving because here at CLC we think of giving in three ways. Time, talent, and treasure. And when we are giving those three things, the kingdom of God just naturally grows. God has used this church already very powerfully. If nothing else happened, the stories and events and wonderful things that God has done through this community, we were 10 lifetimes to tell. We have seen in these altars brain aneurysms dry up. We have seen cancer vanish. We have seen so many hundreds upon hundreds make a commitment to make Christ Lord of their life. We have literally fed tens of thousands of people. We have advanced the work of the Lord and we have seen God move. But the call is on us. Are we going to sit right here where we're at and just continue to remain comfortable in this place? Or will we take the next bold step towards what it is God is calling us to? God put on our heart last year that we were to start a process. And if you would have talked to me and you would have bent my ear, I knew that last year was just the first step. But the Lord gave me this word that this is the year of the catalyst. This is the year of significant change where the work of the Lord is going to take monumental steps. Last year was incremental. This year, it's exponential. And I believe that we are all a part of the culture that God is trying to rev up and to bring in. But we need to hear the word of the Lord through the prophet Haggai. You've been living in paneled houses. I as well. But the house of the Lord is in ruins. And when the house of the Lord is in ruins, we don't come together. And I know people in our modern age that say the church is in a building. That is true. But every church, every church since the inception has always had a congregational place in which to meet. Which the vast majority of times has been some kind of structure, be it a tent, be it a church, or be it a space underneath a tree. It's always about the people congregating. And in our context, it's about people gathering. And so to de deny the church its ability to take a step forward is to deny the functional way that we are to live together in community. They said that we could never grow a church like this, a multi-ethnic, a multi-generational church. Why? Because across the nation, 93% of churches are monoracial. I said, watch what God will do. 
Because I believe that God is not done building the diversity of this community. That he wants 10-year-olds worshiping next to 90-year-olds. That he wants people from India worshiping next to people in Africa. And people that were born in the United States. All of us coming together as the body of Christ. And each of us needing the essential part of the other to be who we are. I do not want a church that only looks like me. I want a church that looks like God in all of God's diversity because he's made all of you, you, me, us in his image and we need all of us to have the full expression of what that means. And I get excited about that idea because they said we couldn't but here we are. We are doing it and we're going to continue to do it. But to live into that, we've got to start learning to think counterintuitively. Counterintuitively is the way in which we need to think. Because intuition tells us that if I want more money, I need to get a better job. Makes sense. But the kingdom principle is this. Give and it will be given unto you. That it's not about amassing and storing that causes the flow of God's generosity to be open in our lives. But it actually comes from principles that are often counterintuitive to the way that we think. It functionally changes our behavior when we live generously. Because why? God wants us. He wants you. He wants me to have a generous heart because that's what he has. And when we aren't generous, we stop the flow. When our talents are not in service to the things of God, as well as in the world, just working for our own existence, the flow begins to stop. And most of us live frustrated, and we don't know why. Because we say we pray every morning, we open our Bibles, but that is not what it means to be God first. It means that all of who I am is first committed and dedicated to God. And that is the place that the flow comes, but that's counterintuitive thinking. Because we think that it all depends on our own ability, on our ability in this case to plant crops, to build a structure based on these ideas. Here's, here's the word, I want to read it again. Give careful thought to your ways. You've done all the right things. You've planted a lot, but you've harvested a little. You eat, but it doesn't matter. It seems how much you eat, you're, you're never satisfied. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. No matter how many you put on, you earn wages only to put them in purses that have holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Now, in the stu biblical studies, that's called an inclusio. Can I, can I just nerd out on you for just a minute? So let me, let me go ahead and do that. So it says, unto the, listen to the word of the Lord, give careful thought to your ways. And then at the bottom of that, it says, give, listen to the word of the Lord, give careful thought to your ways. So in between those two phrases, the way that the, the literary device of an inclusio works is this is of primo importance. If you miss this, you miss it all. 
that this right here encapsulated into those phrases, give careful thought to your ways. You keep living lives that are ultimately and functionally empty and you're struggling to figure out why because you keep planning and you're doing all the things that should succeed and then it doesn't. You keep trying to, to, to be kind to someone uh, but you're not doing it with God first. You're doing it for a manipulative person and it's not working the way that you want. You're doing things that aren't producing and your life functionally feels empty thinking counterintuitively means do we have to give careful thought that what does it look like for God to be first and how it is that I'm engaged in this community in this church everything that this church needs to prosper is already here I believe that but everything that's here is not equally or wholly committed or engaged. And when that happens, it actually causes the church's life to prosper at different levels. You prosper in this flow and this opens up, but you got some people that they're not active and so what it does is it puts a lid on the church's ability to make the impact that it can because there's so many people that says it's not now time to build the church. Too busy. I don't have time, Pastor, for 15 minutes or 20 minutes on a Sunday to open a door and shake somebody's hand. I don't have time for 20 minutes to be sitting at a kid check-in place and smile at people and embrace kids with, with whole, holy God love. I don't, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to once a month give up my day and come in and help clean a church. I don't, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to go on the evangelism outreach. No time. I'm busy building my own life. And when our lives are not full, we get angry at God and say, God, why is my life not where it needs to be? Give careful thought to your ways, he says. You keep investing in stuff that's actually never going to turn out because I've created you to be a God-first person. And when you're not, everything, everything will start to rage against us. I have this friend Gordon, and Gordon was sharing with me a story about his experience in church. And he says, you know, pastor, he goes, my life from an outward perspective looked like we had it all. I made serious money. I don't want to talk about how much money he made. I don't want to embarrass him or anything like that. He says, I made serious money, more money than probably 93% of the nation. We lived in a great house. We came to church you know, I wasn't a tither, but I, I gave when I felt like there was a need that was compelling enough, I'd give. It was always about how I felt. He goes, but man, I wasn't satisfied. I kept trying to pursue more things, and so I was trying new things to bring the satisfaction. But no matter how much I tried, it's like everything else was falling apart. My marriage, my relationship with my kids. One day I was looking at my life and I was surveying it and I said, man, I'm empty. This is not producing what I wanted it to or what I imagined it would. It's come up empty, all of my pursuits, the vanity of them all. And people would have said I was a good person because I was. People would said, say that I was a Christian, not because I live like one, because, but because I went to church. But on one Sunday, I realized how hollow my life had been. And when the call came for me to come forward, I came and I made a pledge that day that God would be first in every area of my life. 
He said, that was a really hard commitment to make because that means I had to reprioritize everything. I had to be willing to go on outreaches and missions trips. I had to be willing to open a door and say hello to people. I had to be willing to be engaged in ways that I just had never done before. And he goes, I'll be honest, it was a really big challenge at first, but I've been doing it now for five months. And he goes, my life, my marriage, my relationship with my kids, everything in my life, my business, everything is prospering. And all I did was start putting God first. Even my income and my ability to earn and give has increased. Why? Because I prioritize the things of God and in the process God has transformed every part of my existence now these are counterintuitive ways to live because they don't really make rational sense God isn't rational think about his method of bringing transformation in the globe when you pray come and offer words to me, and I will use that vehicle to bring transformation. If somebody's sick, let them call upon the elders of the church, anointing them with oil, and lay hands of faith. Doesn't look like a penicillin shot. Not that God doesn't use medicine, but the wisdom for healing and, and the power to heal is always found in Him. And those ideas at times can be counterintuitive, but they always bring a measurable impact. The people now had been for 20 years wasting away and trying to get it going, but it wasn't. And they were better off than they were in captivity, but nowhere near. Like their expectations had not been met at all. They're far from where they should have been. And everything is falling apart. And the prophet says, give careful thought to your ways. And couches those words in ways that their lives, even in the pursuit of trying to, whatever it is that they wanted, whether it was to be famous or whether it was to be a person of power or, or a person of respect, all of their pursuits turned out to be empty. Or as one social critic has put in our time, we live in a world right now where everything's amazing, but nobody's happy. We can fly and be anywhere in the world in a matter of minutes to hours. We can be on the phone with anybody anywhere in the world. The time-saving devices are, are, are plentiful. We've got technology that's changing and happening at such a fast rate that problems that are existing literally in one month can be solved and made completely different in another. He goes, everything's amazing and nobody's happy. Why? Well, the prophet would say, because we've misprioritized God. Because God is in first. Measurable impact. He says, if you give careful thought to your ways, then everything can change. And so the Lord begins in this mode to stir up the heart of Zerubbabel, who is the governor of this region. And he put the people back in and called them to engage again. And I feel that same power upon my life right now. And the Lord is stirring up my heart and saying, if we will prioritize God, then everything that this church and this community needs will be in place. And also everything that's displaced in your life will begin to come into order. Why? Because it's in the context of the community of faith that scripture says, the gates of hell will never prevail against. And some of you, the gates of hell have been pushing on your family, been pushing on your kids. You got rebellion problems. You got issues with your finances. You got issues in your marriage. But it's the church and building of this that stops the gates of hell from encroaching any further. 
And what this world needs is people that will engage with this kind of impact. That will believe that God can use them to be a part of something that transforms culture. That's what the Lord wants. So Zerubbabel, he gets stirred up and says, guys, we got to get it together. Because there is no city and no life when the foundation is not intact. And when we stop building upon what it is that God has put in front of us to build upon. So they start to build. And they hear the word of the Lord that says, bring down timber from the mountains. Stop whatever you're doing. Stop whatever is distracting your focus and go up to the mountains and bring back timber. The timber would be used to build the structure of the church where all of these people would meet, where the Holy of Holies would be set apart, where priests could come and consecrate for the people of God. And in our context, this is the place where holy interaction happens between kindreds and tribes and tongues. The altars where burdens are laid down. The power here that we have seen transform. It's in building and bringing the timber down from the mountains that it does. And in our context, you know what it looks like? It looks like your time. It looks like your talent. And it looks like your treasure. That these are the three forms of timber that we bring in our context because we can't just go cut down trees in McGregor Village down the road. Because if we do, they call the cops on you. But what we can do is we can go to the mountains in our culture and bring back our time, our talent, and our treasure. And when we do, the glory of God will come and bound forth through this place and bring revival and transformation and hope. You see, I believe that CLC... It's God's greatest hope for this area that we now exist. It is the greatest hope for families that are all displaced and broken. It's the best hope for the addict that's struggling to kick that habit. It's the place where people that need love can find it. A place that those that need hope will experience it. And where the power of God can bound forth. But what God is asking us to do is to give careful thought to our ways. And to go up to the mountains and bring back timber. Because now is the time to build what it is that God has called us to build. And listen to what the prophet says. He starts to see this activity happen. And God begins to speak to him again. He stirs up his heart. And this is what the word of the Lord is. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. I'm not done reading. But I want to say, we will become the most attractional place in the face of the earth when God places his glory here. And the prophet, he's seeing this in his eye, that when the people are beginning to prioritize God, that everything is starting to come. Even what it is that people desire apart from it is coming and being poured into the house. I will fill it with my glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. Five million dollars, that's easy, by the way, for God. And the gold is mine. It's, it's mine, declares the Lord Almighty. And I love this. The glory of this present house, or this house that's now coming, will be greater than that of the former, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, this is an important word. Because the audience that's there, they've heard the stories about the grandeur of the former temple. We've got people, even in our community, that can remember a time that was much better than the one that we currently exist. 
where you could talk about Jesus at work, where your neighbors all knew who God was because it was a part of their, their functional life. They can remember. And so when he's saying this, that the glory of the present house, what God is trying to do and getting ready to do in this day is unparalleled in any time in the history of the world that God desires to bring forth such a move of his spirit through carry that it causes all the world to take notice and to pay attention of what God did through a group of people that said, yes, I'm going to go get my timber and I'm going to bring my time, my talent, my treasure, and I'm going to put it in service with the Lord. And we're going to see the blind eyes open, the deaf ears hear, the lame legs walk, and all of us will be able to testify of the glory of the Lord. But many of you say it is not yet time to build the Lord's house. It's not yet time. At a different point, Pastor, when I've kept my priorities straight, then give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much. You did all the right things, but you're harvesting little. <laughs> you're invested in all of the right stocks, but for whatever reason, they're not producing for you. You sent out 10,000 resumes and none are coming back. People that should say yes are saying no. Give careful thought to your ways. I was talking to a friend of mine called the worship team come back up. A friend of mine named Brian was telling me about his church recently. He's saying, you've known me for a long time. And I know about your church. We're older than you are, but I know your story because we've been friends. And you know my story. Our church was a yo-yo. It was... Healthy, I mean, there, there was a good number of people that would attend it, but it would grow and then it would shrink and it would grow and it would shrink and it would grow and it would shrink. I knew that we were stuck. We were stuck in so, it, so much that if we didn't break out of the mode that it could destroy us. And I kept feeling in my heart that we needed to move our facility. Now, from an outward perspective, it didn't make a lot of sense. Sure, we had days that the church was filling over, but a lot of Sundays, there were seats. We had a place to minister to kids. It was, it was working. But I couldn't get away from the sense that we needed to, to move forward and that we needed to take important steps. And so I began to pray and talk to the leaders in the church and say, it's now time that we go and actually build a permanent structure. We've been renting and we've been paying somebody else's bills. God wants us to establish this church in this city, in this place. But it's not just about building buildings. Because that's not all that God's called us to do. But to build a place where transformation can happen every week. And we need to start that right now. Not just in calling for more dollars to come into the house. That's important and it matters. But we need to call the church to itself. We need to call, call greeters to come forward and to love people that are coming through the door so that the place is so attractional and everyone is known and experiences the grace of that fellowship. We need to expand our ministry footprint and we need more volunteers to go out and to share the gospel. We need to increase our missions giving. We need to go forward. We need to bring our timber. 
You're like, Pastor, where do I get involved? They would ask, and I'm going to share that same word with you. Asking that same question, Pastor, where do I start? The very best place to start is in the area that you're most irritated by. If you don't like what's going on the worship team, then if you can sing, join it and make it better. If you don't like what's happening in CLC Connect because you don't feel connected to the church, then volunteer in CLC Connect. If you think our church is messy and needs to be clean, then volunteer on the facilities team. If you think that our church is not doing a good enough job of reaching the nations, then volunteer to reach the nations. It matters that each of us are engaged in this pastor. Pastor Brian said to me, he goes, when we did this, he goes, everything started to change. Six months from when I made the appeal, I think it actually was more like nine, about nine months from when I initially made the appeal, we put an offer on some property. Since then, we've acquired more and more. And he goes, and in the first month, our church more than doubled, and we've never looked back. It's not about the number of people that attend a church that makes it great. But it is about the number of people that come in and experience the transformational power of God in such a way that their lives are never the same again. Go up to the mountains and bring the lumber. Bring your time, your, your talent, your treasure. In your bulletin, you saw an ask for the building fund. In the bulletin, the last couple of weeks, you've had three specific asks. One, for volunteers to come into different areas of this church and to fill spots to help it be what it's called to be. I've already said it. If you feel an area is an irritant to you, it could be that God is trying and put that on your heart. It likely is that he wants you to be a person that brings transformation to that area. Then we said seven significant places that you can make an impact in this community, whether it's people that you're going to invite to church, whether it's a way that you're going to make Christ known. And today, there's a building fund pledge form in your bulletin. Because it really is all of those three things. It's time. It's talent. And it's treasure. So that we can build the place where transformational grace is experienced every week in an unforgettable space where God has met us. You just heard the baby crying a minute ago, that was my baby. But how many times has that moment robbed somebody of a, a moment with God because it spills over at just the right time? You say it's not yet time to build the Lord's house. While you yourselves are living in your panel house and the house of the Lord remains a ruin. God is wanting to bring such a move of God, but what he's looking for and what he's been waiting for all of this time is us. Me too. I'm looking for ways in my own life and in my own family where we can prioritize God in ways that we haven't. We've done okay, but I know that God's calling me to something different and more. Last year, our family, we made a pledge together to the building fund. This year, we're gonna exceed that pledge and we're gonna do it again. I don't know what God's speaking to your heart to do, 
But there's an opportunity for you to give and of yourself in all three of these ways. And I promise you, if you do, the impact of this community will be so much greater because the glory of the latter house will be far greater than that of the former. What God is going to do in this day and in this time is unparalleled in history. And God wants you and he wants me to come together and to build a community of faith that's transformational. For the spirit of God to break out. For heaven to come down. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray over every single... Join Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church next time for another powerful and inspirational message. To find out more about Covenant Life Church, log on to www.covenant-life.com or call 919-462-1932. Remember, living life without direction is meaningless. Living a purpose life with direction from Jesus Christ is your life fulfilled.